Welcome to Preventing America's Next Drug Epidemic, a multidisciplinary approach, a series designed to introduce the many facets of substance use and how integrating the work of multiple partners may be the best approach towards prevention and treatment. I'm your host, Elena Vidrascu, and in my previous podcast episode, I examined the physiological responses we have to audio stimulation by understanding how our ears and brains process information received audibly through sound waves, and then looked at the relationship between our brain waves and our health in an effort to introduce you to sound healing. In this episode, I will be discussing the practical use of sound for enhancing well-being with special guest Alexander Tuttle, a sound therapist and musician who holds a private practice in Stokesdale, North Carolina where he works with people struggling with anxiety, depression, pain, substance use, and other trauma-related issues. I meet with Tuttle at his studio to experience firsthand how he adjusts the internal vibration of his clients by using something called sound therapy tables. A sound table is a massage table that has been modified to deliver vibrations to a person's body while he or she listens to music that's been carefully selected by the frequencies it transmits through a person's ear to the brain. This way, sound is simultaneously heard and felt by Tuttle's clients. This immersion of sound is thought to align a person's physical senses to the rhythm of the music. A deep, meditative state is reached once clients are able to let go of past traumas, chronic pains, and even daily distractions. In this sleep state, the body and mind relax, and that's when, Tuttle says, the healing process begins. Standing barefoot on the front lawn of his home, Tuttle greets me with an infectious smile as I step from my car. His hair is long, falling to his shoulders. His clothing is loose and flowing, and I feel immediately at ease in his presence. He ushers me around his house to the backyard, to what looks like an ordinary potting shed. We step inside, and the light breeze of a fan cools my face. Drapes of various colors lining the small room's walls gently billow around a couch, two small side tables, and what I presume to be the sound tables Tuttle uses with his clients. I asked Tuttle how he first got introduced to sound healing. Hmm, quite a story. (laughs) Uh, So through my 20s, um, I was a musician, traveled all around, uh, mainly the the eastern uh, side of the state and uh, the U.S., and really wanted to be a professional musician. Um, so I studied music theory. I wanted to be a very competent musician, not just not just a rock and roller, but uh, someone that understood music at a deeper level. And so I accomplished that and found some guys locally that we uh, did a tremendous amount in a very short amount of time. And every, both the guitar players were music majors at UNCG and our singer was a um, opera major at UNCG so we were we were doing music in the mid 90s that was very eclectic and we would bring in jazz and classical and rock and reggae even so we played all these different styles and it was very challenging but 
what happened was no, many, no matter how many accolades uh, I got personally or through my band, it never fed me, never fed my soul. And so in my late 20s, I got introduced uh, into metaphysics. And that just changed my whole perception of everything. So then I started getting loosely interested in how indigenous cultures had used sound in the past. And so I just started studying different books, that type of thing. And, and I was researching used cars. And somehow Sound Healing Institute in San Francisco, California, comes up in my search. But very intensive like 13 different instructors, shamans from multi-cultures, uh, and scientists of uh, present-day cutting edge, the way they were using sound. And so it was a very well-balanced. I wasn't really prepared for that because that wasn't really what I was thinking. I was still kind of a musician and um, just doing my own self-development work. And so by this time, I had been studying metaphysics about 10 years and um, consciousness and so I went out there, I wound up doing that, and studied and met some amazing people and totally had my mind really open up to a whole different level of healing. When I come back from there, that's when I decided that I was going to go in the field of um, helping people somehow with sound. Dating back to Hippocrates, Ayurvedic doctors, herbalists, acupuncturists, and healers have performed with the authors of A Short History of Clinical Holistic Medicine, published in the Scientific World Journal, have called character medicine, or what is increasingly becoming known in prestigious hospitals like John Hopkins and Duke Health as integrative medicine. While skeptics persist, we should be cognizant of the fact that conventional methods alone are not effective for many people struggling with disease, and particularly with the management of chronic pain and mental well-being which we now know has been a significant contributor to the overprescribing of medications and has led to the opioid epidemic and other adverse health outcomes in this country. About 70% of Americans are on at least one medication, and more than half of these individuals take two. Proponents of integrative medicine argue that while antidepressants and painkillers may be beneficial in some instances, we also know that in many others, they're insufficient, which means that people continue to suffer and more drugs continue to be prescribed, resulting in the same poor outcomes. What if we could reduce the dosage of the medications we take and experience fewer side effects by at least trying some of these complementary natural treatments? There's growing credible evidence to suggest we may be overlooking the forest for the trees. In a 2015 study of patients suffering with fibromyalgia, for instance, low-frequency sound stimulation was delivered twice a week for five weeks. The medication dose was reduced in about 74% of patients and completely discontinued in 26%. A majority of these patients was able to significantly increase the amount of time they spent sitting and standing without pain. There are instruments laid around the room in Tuttle's studio. A sitar is propped against the wall, and Tibetan bowls of various sizes are spread out underneath a sound table. Tuttle explains the process of using sound 
and its relation to the associations we constantly make. So, you know, there is a difference between music therapy and sound therapy. And music therapy does pull on a lot of uh, memory. And so that's why it works really well for like Alzheimer's patients and that type of thing. And it can really bring a lot of joy. Because see, we're as human beings, we're constantly making associations. So in every action that we're doing, uh, the subconscious is taking little mini pictures constantly. And so music is very similar when we go through experiences that are joyful and there could be a song playing in the background. And then uh, when you hear it 10 years later, it just brings back this feeling. Sometimes the person can remember, but sometimes they might go, I don't even know why I like this song because it was happening just in the background and they didn't realize it in that moment. So with association, the thing about emotions is we want to normally choose our music directed by the mood that we're in. And so lots of times that's why people that are in a, a lower mood will, will play some kind of darker, heavier type uh, sad music, you know, because we're constantly looking to relate. But the beautiful thing about sound is that once you relate, the power of sound is once you relate and then you slowly start changing those frequencies and picking that energy up, you can, you can change the whole vibe very quickly. But you always have to meet the person or the situation where it is first. And the way most people use it out of just ignorance or not knowing better is, I call it the wallow syndrome. They want to wallow in it. So see, they won't use it to like pull themselves out of that situation many times. They'll just want to play sad song after sad song after sad song because they're looking for that relating. Oh, this singer knows what I'm talking about. You can utilize that to like meet that, but then slowly start bringing in like maybe a neutral type song and then slowly working up to a more upbeat, happy type song. And within a 30 minute span, you may be able to bring yourself out of that situation. So that's the way that I use even sound, breaking music down into sound like one crystal bowl. Anytime I find a sound that someone doesn't like, I go, bingo, <laughs> this is where we want to go. People think that they're feeling better by being able to relate. But if you're just wallowing in your sadness, in your gloom, and you're just continuing to listen to bands or music that support that, you're not likely to pull yourself out of that. I try the table. At Tuttle's invitation, I make myself comfortable on one of the sound therapy tables and place the headphones on as he's instructed. I'm awash in the relaxing sounds of Tuttle's music. Then he turns on the table, which sends small vibrations to every part of my body touching the table's padded surface. There isn't the same intensity of having your muscles needed by a traditional massage chair, but Tuttle demonstrates that the frequency of vibrations pulsing from the table, like the frequency of the sounds amplified in the headphones, can be adjusted to various levels of intensity to achieve various effects. Different emotions encompass different vibrations, and we can manipulate the frequencies desired to heal physical and emotional pain and enhance well-being. Seeing everything as frequencies, everyone is just a ball of frequencies. It, it helps to take the personal out of it and to understand that uh, we don't have to look at things as something as strong as a disease. It's just dis-ease. It's just out of vibration. 
and everything can be tuned. And this is due to the law of physics that these adjustments can happen. That the fact is a stronger vibration can manipulate and change a weaker vibration given enough time. And so, so how we think is a vibration, how we speak of a, is a vibration. I've broken down a concept of wellness from my perception that a physical or mental dis-ease normally stems from a disruption in the energetic field that Western medicine has finally recognized that we do have an aura. And that aura or energy field gets disrupted from either over-exaggeration or suppression of emotions. And emotions get stimulated from failure to communicate in our relationships. So now, any client that comes to me, whatever their issue is, whatever their pain is in their body, it's all a map that tells me where the trauma was, what, where it was stored, and what, at what age. And we can use frequencies to help bring those emotions out, and it's the emotional release. So most of the issues that people are dealing with are traumas from the past that just are coming to the surface that want to be released, and lots of people keep pressing those down, whether it's with medication or with substance abuse or those types of things, because energy always wants to find homeostasis. Energy, as it relates to sound, might be easier to comprehend if we understand better the relationship between frequencies and our brain. Sound consists of waves that travel at different speeds, or frequencies, which hit our eardrum and then travel to our brain, which is then able to decode this information. Consider the different stages of sleep, from light to deep sleep. These stages are reflected by the frequency of our brain waves, with increasingly lower frequencies as we get into deeper sleep. Waves in the lower frequency range have been shown to reduce cortisol, the major stress hormone, enhance memory, and stimulate production of serotonin, the chemical that antidepressants, like SSRIs, are responsible for increasing. You can think of sound healing as essentially sending waves of various frequencies to permeate throughout the body. With sound healing, sounds of low frequencies are made with different instruments, such as Tibetan bowls, to gently return the body's own vibrations back to their natural, unencumbered states. You don't just hear sound, you can feel it, right? You can feel when you're distressed, and after listening to a certain song, you might feel more relaxed. Many of Tuttle's patients have experienced trauma. In this clip, he explains that disease is a disruption in the energetic field, an imbalance of the vibrations inside our body, and that sound can help release these pent-up emotions. And that we truly have very little idea how much our emotions are debilitating us uh, daily. And, um, and as we go through different levels of traumas, we don't recognize these lower emotions that are constantly going on, self-doubt, uh, self-esteem issues, just people, that's like a constant energy drain, and it's not being recognized enough. And so then by the time a serious depression hits, it's been piling up for a long time, a long time. So sound is a great way in a passive or an active way to release that that valve takes some of that pressure off, so to say. Back on the sound table, I feel the stress of my own recent life challenges leaving my body. Small stressors in comparison to those suffering from trauma, pain, or addiction. Still, 
I'm convinced by Tuttle's demonstration of the potential benefits of this kind of treatment as a complement to more traditional medical treatments. Tuttle tells me that he was a skeptic of holistic medicine himself until his wife passed away from cancer. That's when he tried sound in his own journey to heal the deep suffering he experienced. He was offered pain pills, but opted out of using them and instead relied on sound. We're going to have frictional situations that come up in our lives if we lean into it rather than trying to run from it. I had a great teacher that told me that about pain. He said, oh, pain is our greatest teacher, but our culture is always busy trying to run from it. But once you mask the pain, then you're not listening to the message. So the more that you mask that, the louder it has to start yelling, the more it has to increase the pain. So in my vibrational sound table, uh, many times people will just set up crying profusely and they'll say, I don't even know why I'm crying. And I say, perfect. We just need to release that energy. We don't always need to relive the story. Everybody receives energy differently. And some people are very, very energetically sensitive and even to a point of experiencing excruciating pain. And that's what I experienced for those five years is that when I would go to an airport or somewhere where there was like tons of people, I, my whole body would hurt. It would just ache and I would just cry in pain. But when somebody would ask me what was wrong, there was nothing I could tell them that was wrong. I just hurt. And so those are the clients I work with, that their pain can't be explained. And there's an emotional basis to that. And we can get to that and release that. Because lots of times the word why is what keeps people stuck. So I just suggest anytime you have a why, like why is she treating me that way? Or why is my life like this now? To turn that why inward is the only time that it's useful. To say, why am I allowing this person to bother me in this way? So asking the internal whys are very, very useful. But just use that to catch yourself of how often you use the word why. Here's what I took away from my experience and conversation with Tuttle. When someone is struggling with something that isn't purely physical, but which is additionally attached to some deeply rooted emotional turmoil that we may not even be aware of, sound could potentially be beneficial in helping to release some, if not all, of these pent-up traumas. As Tuttle notes, we have to consider that in at least some cases of substance misuse and addiction, that people may be masking emotional trauma with drugs or alcohol. If we repress and avoid our emotions with drugs, they get stored away, but don't disappear. So if we learn to listen to the whispers and listen to that very beginning of that discomfort and make an adjustment, that's just the key, is make the adjustment as soon as you start to feel the discomfort. But the point is that, is that that's a warning sign. Rather than saying, I don't have time, it's similar with sound. When I find a sound that someone doesn't like, Working and leaning into that friction is breaking that association. So I'll start with it and I'll play it and I'll see them start to cringe and I'll stop and I'll say, you're in control. Can I play it some more? Yes. Go ahead. Okay. Then I'll start seeing their eyebrows going down and they're trying to fight it and I'll stop and I'll say, you're in control. And then it stops and I'll say, can I play it some more? And we have this agreement that they're always in control. But this is just a crystal bowl. It's nothing attacking you. But we need to change that association to that sound. So it's very similar to uh, in communication. When a child goes through a 
hostile environment. Like say that a female is being raised by a father that is maybe a, a little alcoholic or, or, or bipolar, the, the tempers flare. Well, in order to, so, to survive, the child actually learns to block out certain frequencies because they can't take the constant berating that is happening. And so they learn to block out those frequencies. And then later in life, if that child gets a job with a, a, a gentleman that has a similar timbre or tone to their voice as her father, then every time that boss tries to give her direction, she can't hear him. And she could be in a group with two other uh, people, and the boss give direction and walk off, and almost every time she'll say, what did he say? And anyone else can say it back to her, and she'll get it right away. And most people don't know that they've blocked these frequencies out. Triggers and cravings can essentially be anything from an image of a cigarette to feeling stressed at work. It can also be a song that sounds like something we used to listen to. Once we are exposed to a trigger, external or internal, we might be accustomed to having a drink of alcohol or smoke a cigarette. Here, we are making an association between trigger, feeling of discomfort, drug use, and then a satisfactory feeling. Associations wake up our memory and spark that craving that drives us towards finding what we want. Cravings make us feel a certain way and sometimes we're unaware of how overpowering they might be. When we resist a craving, we are training our mind to form new associations. We're training ourselves to sit through the discomfort. To no surprise, people struggling with substance use disorder have altered brain activity compared to healthy individuals. Across several studies, it's been found that individuals in active addiction and in initial stages of recovery essentially have more heightened brain waves, or they're in more of an alert state of mind. Those further in recovery are better able to relax their minds. This is also reflected in their sleep cycle. A 2015 paper from the journal Drug and Alcohol Dependence showed that individuals dependent on cocaine had significantly less stage three sleep than healthy controls. In stage three sleep, or deep dreamless sleep, our brain is in a delta wave state, low frequency, in which we experience cortisol reduction and release of beta endorphins, which are responsible for suppressing pain. Some of the beneficial effects of using low frequency sound therapy with those struggling with substance use disorder is believed to be as a result of this increase in beta endorphins. In any case, by using sound, we can reap the benefits of being in a relaxed state, making this a promising complementary treatment to behavioral therapy and medication. I'd like to thank my guest today, Alexander Tuttle. I'm Elena Vidrascu. Be sure to join me again next time as I continue to take a multidisciplinary approach to preventing America's next drug epidemic.